Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you The Polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So it's Tuesday because we're traveling a lot this week. And we're traveling a lot, lots of weeks because, you know. We really don't want to give you guys, we want to give you the best audio We are committed to audio. Possible. Haven't you noticed we're now, so it may be that by the time you listen to this on Thursday when we release that, like The Rock may be on the Supreme Court or something. We don't know. But we think <laughs> Trump will still be a factor. So we are going to talk a lot about like midterms and role of Trump, what we know so far about Supreme Court. But anyway, that is why we're recording on Tuesday. Rainy Tuesday, releasing it on Thursday. So this week's top lines, there has been game-changing news in the Kavanaugh confirmation battle since our last episode. We will project how it might change the polls. Uh, Then we'll check in on Nate Cohn's house race poll factory. What has he been finding as he's been calling up Americans in swing districts? The Senate remains a pretty big toss-up when you look race by race at some of these new polls coming out of places like Arizona, Tennessee, Montana, and Missouri. And then the Voter Study Group, a great research project that has constantly been producing fabulous new research. We have a new dump of stuff about Trump that we'll take a look at. And finally, farewell summer. Hello, the fairest of the seasons, fall. Yes. So first, the poll of the week. And this is from... Pew, yes. So it's from Pew. And I guess this is consistent with what we've seen now in lots of other polls, but this is a new way of looking at it, this sense that we feel this perception that the parties are moving farther and farther apart. And so this is just a new way of looking at that. And Republicans feel the Democratic Party is very liberal. However, slightly fewer Democrats rate the Republican Party as very conservative which I find interesting. I wonder if that's like a because of sort of Trump. Do people think of Trump as conservative kind of thing? I don't know if that's what that comes from. Yeah, I mean, Republicans think that the idea of Republicans thinking Democrats are very liberal and Democrats thinking Republicans are very conservative is not new. What I have also been fascinated with is the uh, sort of where people place themselves um, and the fact that everybody thinks the other party is very extreme, but they think of themselves as pretty moderate. So the average ideological rating on an 11-point scale, people put themselves about a 5.2. They think generally think the Republican Party is a 7.1, but again, that varies wildly based on what party you are in. Um, Interestingly, for the Republican Party, I think that I'm fascinated by the idea that Democrats and Republicans, while the distribution of their responses about how conservative the GOP is, the fact that they are so similar, like I think you're right that there's something going on here with the Trump era Mm -hmm. um, that – well, and also I think the word liberal 
Republicans had like – it had been this like bad word, like you don't want to be liberal, whereas conservative Republicans like embraced that word. And now I think that's shifting a little bit. Right. I think Democrats – and for Democrats now it's progressive, right, that that's yes. more not liberal. So in a way, you know, is the scale using – terms that the parties themselves would not use. It's using the word liberal, which Republicans would use. It's not using the word progressive, right. which Democrats would use. But you have to do that to keep it consistent, to be able to measure over time. And they have some time series data in here. I don't think we have it in our script, but where it shows that there have been slight shifts where you know, the parties have always sort of viewed one another as pretty extreme, but like there's been a slight tick outward for both parties of like what Democrats think of Republicans, what Republicans think of Democrats. Yeah. People think of themselves as pretty moderate. Right. I mean, I guess, I mean, I, it, it's interesting that people think of themselves as moderate. And and what you don't know from this is, are they truly moderate or do they have the aspiration that moderate is a thing that they would like to be or call themselves because that means they're, you know, thinking things through and evaluating each policy issue one by one and, you know, measured and such. Um, if you did quizzes, all those various quizzes, Pew has one too, like where are you? What's your actual ideology if you look at all these different issues? Would all those people who say they're moderate actually be moderate or would they be more liberal or yeah. more conservative? There was – when I was over in – this will probably be my last New Zealand story <laughs> before I have exhausted them all. But we met with some folks at Massey University in Wellington who are in their design and democracy program. And they had built an app to try to help people figure out like which candidate in the – I think it was elections for like mayor of Auckland or something like that. But like who do you match up with best? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just about like are you right or left. But it was things like – which would you prefer more of, like being tougher on crime or, you know, being more, you know, it was it wasn't like are you more conservative or liberal on criminal justice issues? It was like which of these things do you value more? Value and you can and right. you can value them both and you would move a slider to kind of like, okay, well, if I value them both equally, I put it in the middle. If it's like I value economic development and building new cool things in my city versus do I value preserving the historic things that are here and open green spaces. Like instead of saying are you right or left on right. like development, you know, it's right. giving you here are the trade-offs. Right. You can have all, all of one, you can have all of the other, or you can be somewhere in the middle. Where are you? And then it would like on the app. And what do you pick if you're like, I like the candidates' ads? <laughs> <laughs> they have that in there. <laughs> no, because there are strict campaign finance limits that do not allow for very many what? ads. But at how all. do they know if they like the person? <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, it was, it's, it's cool because it's not just conservative liberal, it's taking the actual, like, on every issue, there are trade offs. There are things that I may value more than you, or you may value more than me, and we, that, and Public policy making is the trade off of those things. So rather than right left, which people can define in any which way, you actually lay out like here's a trade off. Which of these two things do you like better? So I, well, I enjoy that. If everyone has perfect information, they'll make better choices, perhaps. Well, speaking of good choices and having good information, let's talk about all the news that is happening right now when it comes to Kavanaugh. I don't know if it's going to be different really by the end of the week, but it's certainly going to still be in the news one way or the other, which is what happens next for the Supreme Court pick. Um, obviously, Judge Kavanaugh has been – is now facing um, allegations – accusations of sexual assault. Uh, the person who's made the accusations is now coming forward. 
What does that do for his chances at being confirmed? What does it do for the timeline for his confirmation process? What does it do for the midterms or in some Senate, you know, the targeted Senate seats or in any seat for that matter, any race? What does it do for how voters view the two parties on gender? Because obviously it's about more than simply this incident. It's about a lot more beyond that. Um, there's a lot going on and um, it's obviously very complicated and I see a lot of people stepping in it very easily, um, trying to make sense of it by saying things that are just completely rational, insulting. Um, hopefully we get to a place where this seems like a better process and a better conversation than it did when I was in college and during the Clarence Thomas hearings and Anita Hill's testimony, which was really a very formative experience for a lot of Young women, myself included, um, and a lot of women who decided to run for office. It was a really big moment in you know my political journey. Um, anyway, what do you see on the Republican side? Well, so I, I, in terms of what the polls are showing, I mean, when I take a look at the comparisons of Kavanaugh and his, you know, should he be confirmed or not confirmed, the past polling, polling that had ended you know, late last week before the sort of word of the allegations first first came out, you know, there'd been a lot of talk, well, Kavanaugh sort of has the lowest vote in favor numbers of, right. of any modern... Right. Harriet Myers, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I took a look at it, I mean, in his defense, the don't vote for him is not that much different than what you had for Neil Gorsuch. Uh, it's, you know, the he's too extreme is about the same number that uh, Justice Kagan had as far as too extreme. There's just a lot of no opinion about him mm-hmm. that I think when it came to Gorsuch, there was a big like there had been a big sales pitch around him, which made it is why politically you had so many of these red state Democrats vote in favor of him. Um, in this case, I feel like there's just been so much other news that like news about Kavanaugh prior to this story I don't think had made it out there as far, which is why the no opinion numbers are had been relatively high for him compared to past justices. I mean, even on the question of is he extreme or mainstream, the extreme numbers were the same. Like, if you don't like Brett Kavanaugh, or if you if you're like engaged in this issue, you know, there was the partisan like thirty seven percent, thirty seven percent. He's extreme, he's mainstream, whatever. But you have this slice in the middle that I just think hasn't been paying as much attention. I will bet they're paying attention now. Right, and so that's why I. I feel like there's room for movement in the polls, not necessarily from people who were like, I liked Brett Kavanaugh and now I hear the story and I've changed my mind because I'm less – I think less – it's less likely that people's minds will change barring blockbuster information. But for the people that did not have an opinion to begin with – That's getting filled in now. That will get filled in now and most likely not in a favorable way, which I think changes the – political calculations if you are a red state Democrat. Yeah. I, I think there are, you know, I think there are a few there are a few different things. I mean, before and so we had polling on the Supreme Court before, you know, once there was a vacancy before there was a nominee, and people were worried, is there, you know, is the next nominee gonna be, you know, throw the court out of balance, too political, too conservative compared to where the country is right now, whether that's on row or pre existing conditions or, you know, corporate special interests. Also there's this factor, you know, this issue of, well, it, you know, is is Trump picking his own judge and jury? You know, uh, but you know he's under investigation. There are guilty pleas and indictments, and you know he's going to have to pick people who, who he's picking people who will likely have to decide something in this investigation, or could very well. 
And then nothing about Kavanaugh's really reassured people on any of that. And so we have some polling that's going to be released today, which is Tuesday, but we're releasing the show on Thursday. So um, I think it's all going to work out. Um, but uh, that shows it was done before this new set of allegations against Kavanaugh. And but this concern about the documents and like is you know there are all these documents that have been made public. What's the rush? Why aren't we looking through all these um, documents? In addition to a renewed concern that he's not the guy to hold Trump accountable. And are we going to, you know, we may still be talking about that. We may now be talking about something else entirely given the new accusations of like what people are thinking about may shift. Um, regardless, it, there, I think, you know, no matter like we'll see what happens with the testimony next week and the hearing. This sense that like why is this process rushed? What's the rush? Why aren't we having more public information whether it's of documents or testimony? Let's have more of a – let's now have a full conversation. What's the rush to get this done right now? And so that may be where this ends up going. Um, at, at any rate, you also have on top of that, it would be very – it could be very damaging for Republicans to, you know, to – allow, you know, a lot of, a lot, you know, members and surrogates and TV people and so on, reporters to, um, to you know, encourage this, you know, in like insulting of this woman who's coming forward, you know, bravely coming forward. Who, who wants to, who wants to be part of this, you know, um, who would subject themselves to this unless she had a, you know, story to tell. Um, and, uh, and, you know, given all the other challenges that Republicans have with gender to then make it worse at a time when you have so many women candidates on the left, so many women voters excited, a gender gap that's been going on for a long time. Like, you know, with the end being, well, we really need to do this because we really want someone who's going to, you know, weaken, severely weaken Roe. I, I just don't think that's going to really help Republicans' chances with women voters in any kind of short, medium or even long term. Well, the I keep going back to the differences in polling in terms of women's responses to and beliefs about things like allegations of sexual assault and where you see – well, on the one hand, you have women who over, you know, typically in polling on this type of stuff tend to believe the accusations or tend to think that you know, the, 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 the woman needs to be heard, et cetera. You now have you – know, there is the, the flip side, right, where there are guys who say – well, shoot, you know, at any point in time, someone could come out and say something about me and doesn't matter how many people from my past say I'm a nice guy. If somebody says I've done something bad, the burden of proof is on me. That makes me nervous. And you hear – I mean, they were like very prominent men. I mean, didn't Sean Penn say something to this effect yesterday about like, I think Me Too has gone too far. I mean, there are – not saying Sean Penn is representative of the American male voter population, but I that, that there is the other side of this where, you know, we we see increasing divisions along race, gender, age lines in this country. Is this going to be something that is now further driving that apart? Like it's not just moving women. Does it move men in the opposite direction? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean I think, you know, it, I mean the other thing is Kavanaugh's not saying like, look, I – well, he's not saying much of anything because we haven't had the hearings yet. Yeah, but he said, he made a categorical like this is not you know this is not a thing that ever happened as opposed yeah. to like shouldn't I still have a shot at the Supreme Court, which is what some of the men defending him have been saying. You know, yes, so. and I think that is foolish and was on the record yesterday on CNN <laughs> yeah. saying so. Yeah. So anyway, 
By the time you hear this, it probably won't be resolved. Okay, moving on. So, uh, but you know, I I guess evergreen statement, evergreen statement. But I I do, I do think that it's probably fair to say that this was not necessarily a big issue for a lot of voters before this. It may be now. Is it going to rival healthcare? I I don't, I don't know the answer to that. But can it still, you know, get the get? The candidates, various party bases, more engaged on this issue in some of these key states or nine races. You know, probably it's probably going to be more salient. So there's going to be more activity and action around it. Okay. Let's flip over to the midterms. Let's start with the House. Uh, According to Huffington Post pollster, the average generic ballot lead for Democrats in the House is currently at plus six. Uh, This is, you know, you had those big polls come out right after Labor Day that showed Democrats with a double digit margin. Part of the reason why this you uh, part of the reason why you see this margin being plus six in HuffPost pollster, I think, is because they have a lot of entries from the YouGov Economist poll, mm. which keeps showing it like D plus five, D plus three, like pretty close numbers. And it also has the Grinnell Selzer poll, which showed D plus two again. Ann Selzer, friend of the show, very credible pollster, but with a number that kind of made a lot of people go. Huh, really? You know, it was very different than right. the other polls that had right. come out. RCP has oh, expanded eight point and a difference of eight point three. Got it. So they must be doing something different in terms of which polls they're using uh for the you know, for the the last six polls or five polls that you have in the HuffPost pollster average. They must just be maybe putting greater weight on these YouGov economist ones. I mean since they work with YouGov for the HuffPost right. YouGov polling, um, maybe that it's just getting greater weight in their model or something. But you know, it's it's showing that the, the generic ballot is still not a good place for Republicans. But we, I think it's important now that we're so close to election day. Let's look at Nate Cohn's poll factory. <laughs> so we talked about this last week. Nate Cohn at the Upshot has been doing surveys in key congressional districts. Um, each one kind of with a question that he wants to answer. So, for instance, Illinois 12, will a strong recruit lure back traditionally Democratic voters? Um, California 48, Orange County, will a highly educated district reelect a congressman with close ties to Russia? It's Dana Rohrabacher's district. Um, you know, you've got uh, can a Tea Party hero hold off a strong challenge in a Republican-leaning district? That's Dave Bratt's district. So he's got a whole range of them. And it shows that battleground battleground's going to battleground. <laughs> that in a lot of these cases, a lot of these Republican incumbents, whether it's Roscom, whether it's Barr, whether it's Kaufman, in their poll is down by eleven. So you have some incumbents that are down by a lot. You have um, Paulson from Minnesota who is down by nine in this polling. Um, so a lot of Republican incumbents in trouble, according to this polling exercise. What I have been fascinated by is, again, they are posting the results as the interviews come in. Yes. So like last night they were finishing up interviews in Carlos Curbelo's district yep. down in Florida, mm-hmm. which the initial calls were very pro-Curbelo. And then it swung big time to be pro the Democrat. Right. Um, whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, and then as they added more and more and more calls to it, it came back toward the middle. And I think in the end it landed on like Curbelo up by a little bit. It's a tough district, and I don't know the answer. Are they doing language, Spanish language interviewing? I'm not sure in that district. I don't know. Um, or in Texas 23. I don't know. Anyway, but in, in both of those cases, you know, Curbelo, considering how 
relatively blue his district is, the fact that he is close, if not up by a point or two in the polling is good news for him. Um, Will Hurd is at 51. His opponent is at 43 in this polling. So you have some Republican incumbents who are defying the odds, so to speak. But this this polling is pretty grim if you're thinking about, you know, House – If from a Republican perspective, if you're thinking about what's going to happen in the House. Yeah, and a lot I – So I emailed Nate. I'm like, are you – are you waiting? I'm like, hi. I know we kind of gently teased teased you last last week, but we have a question. Are you waiting the data as it comes in, or are you waited at the end? And he said they we they wait every as it's coming in, so they are continuously waiting. And I'm intrigued by that because right? generating weights. Well. I, I don't want to go too deep in the. This is like when you were worried in the mailbag episode that people were going to be asking us like really hard <laughs> methodological. I don't want to like population throw, correction. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to do that. But my sense is that you use weighting. You use weighting to change the relative balance of your sample once you know what the sample looks like. I mean, I guess you can do those calculations each and every single time a new interview comes in, but. That's why we don't give out partials, kids. That's why you wait until the cake is baked to serve it at the party. <laughs> no, I anyhow, mean, I mean, I get that people love this, but I, I just, I think it's they ha- it's a different, it's a different, it's it serves a different purpose than internal polling. So it's as a as an exercise way to put it. for its readers, for readers to see how you know. And look, I mean, you also, I mean, here's something a little bit, I mean. They are primary. They are doing data collection. Like they're not just like popping off on everybody else's polls. They are doing – putting the resources into data collection and being oh, transparent yeah. about it. So I think that's – you know, that is a different – I have loved this as an exercise for showing people how polling works. Yeah. I think that has been really cool for yeah. sure. Yeah. I just don't love when I look at my Twitter feed and people are like, oh, my gosh, Carmelo's back up. And I'm like, stop, stop. No, this isn't a football game. This is not how this works. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break for some sponsors. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Okay, we're back. Okay. Well, let's look at the Senate then. Or do you have anything else to say no, on the House? No, can no, Can you no. say anything else on the no, House? No, that's good. I'm good. I'm like set. every single race. I'm, I'm, we're all set. Okay. Uh, so let's look at the Senate then now. And we have some fresh polls that have dropped in four key Senate states. You have CBS with uh, te- uh, Senator John Tester uh, up 47-45. Um, in this poll, they note uh, in Anthony Salvanto's write-up, um, by two to one, Montana voters see an impact from the president's trade policies in their area and say the impact has been negative. Tester also draws nine in 10 of those voters. A plurality, 43% of Montana voters, say the recent tax cuts haven't had much impact on them. Those who have felt an impact feel it has been more positive than negative. So it's the trade policy more than the tax bill that's causing, you know, sort of economic woes in the minds of Montana voters. Mm. Um, by almost three to one, those who see an impact from Republicans' recent change to health care laws say the change has been a negative one for them. 
Hence what we have been saying on the show forever, that healthcare is the issue that no one talks about on cable news, but that's the one that's going to move people. In advertising on cable news. <laughs> in advertising on cable news. <laughs> but then maybe not in the segments on cable news. Yep. Um, in Missouri, CBS has also done a poll there. They have it tied 45-45. This is two-thirds of Josh Hawley's backers say their vote is at least partially to support the president. Two-thirds of McCaskill's say it is to oppose him. More of Hawley's voters say they are backing him primarily because he's a Republican than are McCaskill's voters who are backing her because she's primarily a Democrat, that McCaskill's voters are more likely to be about her versus the party label. Then you had CNN drop two polls. They had um, Kirsten Cinema up plus seven over Martha McSally in Arizona, and they had Phil Bredesen up five over Marsha Blackburn in Tennessee. I feel like I should note, so we were on set at CNN yesterday when yeah. these polls um, first came out and I was in the makeup room when they like said, oh, by the way, we have some polls. But they did not have us as pollsters. <laughs> talk about them on air. Other- Can we talk about going straight, <laughs> skipping committee, going straight to the floor on camera? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, but my first thought was like, oh, man, my friends at the NRSC is – this is uh, – and sure enough, Logan Dobson, who is uh, – he is master of all things polling for the NRSC. He tweeted – he subtweeted. All he said was data weighted to census demographics is data not weighted to electoral demographics. Uh, and he said, this is my nerdiest subtweet. And someone said, well, is this what the CNN polled it? I actually couldn't find what CNN does as far as weighting their data. But that to me seemed like pretty clear – NRSC subtweet of the CNN numbers. Yeah, I mean, even the polling outlets that are trying to be transparent don't release their weight statements. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and, and I think that's fine. You know, sure. I think that's perfectly fine. It's certainly industry standard. I just couldn't figure out where, if this, if I was sleuthing out that this was Logan subtweeting these like bad public senate polls. I mean, here is it, that why. So here so this is like the the dance of the public poll release, <laughs> you know, the delicate dance, right? So it is no surprise to anybody that these are the races people are watching. People are watching Tennessee and Arizona, right? They're watching Texas. They're watching, you know, Missouri. These are not like nobody is shocked. This is, these are not there are races you know, in places, maybe not so much in the Senate per se, but, you know, in the House for sure, and maybe a little bit in the Senate where like somebody's trying to get their race on the board. Hey, my race is exciting. Look at me. I'm releasing a poll to show that my race is different than what you thought. My poll shows something different than conventional wisdom. For these races, like that Florida's a battleground, you know, Arizona's a battleground, Nevada, you know, these are not surprises to anybody that these are competitive. And Maybe at some point we'll see a variety of polls that show the race moving in one direction. But until then, you're going to have, you know, polls that show that they are competitive, which is, you know, should not be a surprise to anybody. And we can all kind of like duke it out over like, well, what's the party idea? Is this registered voters are likely? But like there's, you know, for the most part, these are confirming what we all know, which is, you know, these are competitive races, right? I mean – Maybe there, it is news that they are competitive in, in a way that benefits Democrats, I think, more than perhaps we thought at the beginning of the cycle. But, I mean, the, it, the, is it changing, like, how, you know, how many polls does it take to change conventional wisdom about these races? Does it take more or fewer? Are people kind of interested in looking to see that there are more races on the board because that's more interesting to cover? Are there, you know, 
donors and activists who are moved by a poll released by CNN or MSNBC, Marist, which released a week or two ago, a variety of their polling in similar that showed some similar, you know, similar numbers. You know, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is, a, you know, this is a, this is part of what we all talk about as, you know, people who watch polling releases. I don't. Does it actually change? The coverage in an appreciable way, not I think less so for these battleground races, more so for races that you did not think were going to be battleground as they become battleground. Yeah, or I mean, I think from my perspective, cinema up seven over McSally does seem like I mean that plus seven is not yeah mm, that's not a tight race then if like that's tight races somebody's up by two you know so I think that was part of why I saw those numbers I was like. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, but on the other hand, if you are, you know, watching, I mean, there are always going to be fewer public polls for statewide Senate races, gubernatorial races. It's always best to just observe them and wait for a few more, you know, before you make a, before you get your heart set on one side or another based on the public polls. And the other thing, too, I don't know the answer, and I'm not dismissing these polls just as, you know, just as we think about their role kind of in the universe. The other thing that I think is important, and I don't know the answer for all these races, which is how much television is, what's happening on the ground, you know? So sometimes, you know, people release polls and has there been a lot of, you know, has there been a lot of advertising? Has there been a lot of negative advertising? Has it just been in one market? Like these things actually make a real difference if you're really watching the race closely. If you're just like, hey, look, a poll, you you, you know, you don't have that, then (laughs) you're, you're missing some key part of the story. Yep. So then we can take a look at Trump. Uh, right now, his job approval, again, continues to trend down. He's headed back toward Mr. 40 percent territory. He's at 41 percent in Huffington Post pollster, uh, at 53 percent disapproval. Um, this just continues the trend we've seen for the last couple of weeks. And the bad news is that, again, the, the, to the extent that Trump is factoring into the midterms, I would say six months ago, I wouldn't have said it was like neutral, like, well, he's activating a lot of people against him, but he's also activating a lot of people for him. I am less persuaded that that is the case. One, in part because there has now been some reporting this morning, Josh Green at Bloomberg got a hold of some uh, some RNC polling that I think backed up some stuff that was reported on um, from like America's First Policies, which is the Republican pre- – the president's super PAC, where they basically found that – Voters on the right are less enthusiastic about voting because they don't think a blue wave is coming yeah. because the president has told them that polls are fake news and they think, well, polls are all fake news. They were wrong last time. Right. So there's Reporters no blue just wave, make stuff up. whatever. Yeah. So the the pushing of, hey, polls are all fake news is now coming back to bite. Uh, the president and his supporters potentially, according to that finding. Um, do you also have uh, – here you have a survey monkey poll that was conducted late August of 8,000 registered voters nationwide, um, including five about 5,000 responses to the question asking, well, why are you supporting the party that you are supporting for Congress? And when they say – what percentage of people name Trump as the reason? Uh, for Republicans, it's only 9 percent. For Democrats, it's 21 percent. So Trump is now a, a lopsided motivator. And I think if I'm not mistaken, this is an open-ended question, which is different than when they ask in a closed-ended how important is sure. Trump? And then more, lots more people will say, oh, yeah, he's very important. But when you have an open end and you could say whatever you want, 
than it's the number is actually a little bit lower. But the fact that it's a bigger, a larger number among Democrats than it is among Republicans, I think makes that makes sense to me. Yep, and they they did a sort of word analysis of people's responses, and from the from the annals of. Uh, negative partisanship rules everything around me. Uh, the number one reason <laughs> why – Except the pollsters. Except the pollsters. Well, the number one reason why Republican voters said they were going to support the Republican candidate was the word Democrat. Yeah. And the number one reason why those who are Democrats said they were supporting the Democrats was the word Republican. Yeah. Other words, much smaller. Name of the other party – yeah. Not a whole lot of people saying socialism, for example. Not a whole lot of people saying socialism. Well, More Republicans I mean, than Democrats. <laughs> as a, a reason to support the Republican candidate. Yeah. I assume they don't like socialism, right. but one should never assume these things <laughs> too strongly these days. Um, but yeah, I mean, also, I'm assuming, and I don't know, I'm sure, Mark, if you're listening, only two-time guest we've ever had on the show, he, I think they probably just use – because there are 5,000 respondents here, like they just look at – count the words as opposed to like lovingly code each – massage each open-ended sure. question by itself. But I, I think it is interesting that people – Republican voters are not – like 9 percent of them are saying, I'm voting for the Republican candidate because I want conservatives. 9 percent say right. the word conservative, right? 4 percent say the word economy. 33 percent use the word Democrat. <laughs> On yeah. the Democratic side, like 39 percent say Republican. 2 percent say rich. 2 percent say environment. 2 percent say check. I assume it's yeah. check and balance yeah. is where that's probably headed. But 39 percent say Republican. So negative partisanship rules. I'm not surprised that that check number is lower I mean. because, I mean, this is one of these like things that people talk about like, you know, we need a check. And it doesn't it, – it's not that it doesn't work. It's just, you know, it's not as top of mind as some other things. Yep. So. And not – I should say it's not that they – it's not that SurveyMonkey and Mark can't lovingly automatically code all this stuff. It's just different than like lovingly coding each individual <laughs> sentence. It can still be Having made with love. Having a team of, of, of research aides yes. who go through and read everything. Right, right, right. 5,000 respondents. Yeah. OK. So the other in great fun – it's Christmas time in research land news. Um, new voter study group papers are out. So voter study group is the – Bucket – it's the basket of researchers, <laughs> basket of deplorable, basket of researchers and bucket of data that it's part of Democracy Fund. I, I've been sort of – I was involved in an advisory role during the first round. My business partner Patrick is now sort of involved in an advisory role. Um, they pump out really cool papers on what is – the American electorate thinking. So if you have heard the Emily Eakins paper about the five types of Trump voters. I talk about it all the time. That's like what I, this came I, from. I bring it up constantly. We've talked about it on the show a lot. But like it probably comes up or someone mentions it or I mention it in a meeting or on a call like once every week or two. Yep. I have Lee Drutman's paper about where people fall ideologically. Like that is now my like cocktail party trick where I'm like – do you know people that call themselves fiscally conservative but socially liberal? Because guess what? There aren't any. <laughs> it's just you guys. It's just you guys. Look at this chart on my phone. Um, so anyhow, there is f piping hot, fresh new papers from this group. So Lee Drutman, again, he's the the author of the Kristen's cocktail party trick quadrant graph. Um, uh, Lee Drutman in uh, concert with Bill Galston and Todd Lindbergh have written a really cool paper about third parties, which 
I have been so glad about because I get asked about, well, why don't we have a third party and this paper answers the question, which is that everybody says they want a third party and they feel not well represented by – like people who have a party basically feel well represented by it and aren't like, well, I'm in this party but I kind of hate it. Like besides <laughs> Ben Sass, no offense, Senator Sass. Like there's just not a lot of Republicans no, who are like, it, man, so, I'm a yeah. Republican and – I hate being a Republican. Like that's not a thing that – but so that's part problem number one. Problem number two is even though 68 percent of Americans say the two parties do not do an adequate job of representing people, those third-party enthusiasts can't figure out what they want. Like a third of them want a truly centrist party. A fifth want a party that's to the left of the Democrats. A fifth want a party that's to the right of Republicans. The remainder want something else. Shrug emoji. Um, so That's good. yeah, like there is appetite for something different, but there's no consensus on what that would look like. And so the odds that it will look like Mike Bloomberg, which is often when people are like, I really want a third party. I'm like, I think you're wrong about what a third party would look like if it happened. It's not going to look like you and your New York hedge fund buddies. It's just not. Um, then Emily Eakins, as I mentioned, she did the five types of Trump voter paper before. She has one about the differences between religious and non-religious Trump voters, which I mm. think is fascinating because I often hear from my well-meaning but sometimes snarkier uh, friends on the left that like think of the relig- of religious conservatives as this like big evil group out to get them and like they conflate being super far to the right and having views they don't like on things like race, et cetera, and being religious and like this sort of takes those things right. apart and says, no, no, no. Donald Trump voters who attend church regularly are more likely than the non-religious Trump voters to have warm feelings toward racial and religious minorities, to be supportive of immigration and trade, to be concerned about poverty. Like as someone who – I haven't put my Jesus hat on on this show in like two years. But just personally, like seeing data that sort of disentangles all of these things I think is good and I think helps in some ways. I mean and look, this is not speaking to – Evangelical leaders, for instance, who have been, I think, appallingly open to excusing right. horrific behavior on the part of the president, right. but about like the voters themselves and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, that things like going to church or being more engaged in your community or doing community service, like these are all good things and you see them over-indexing with religious versus non-religious Trump voters. Um, and then finally, there's a paper – well, there's a bunch of papers, but the, the third one I'll just bring up is John Sides and Robert Griffin. John Sides has been on this show. Yes. Has Robert Griffin been on our show? No. Well, we need to fix that. Immediately. Um, They've written a paper about – Okay. Our project. Are Trump voters animated by economic anxiety? And they – you know, is is economic anxiety why people were like, sure, I'll take a chance on Trump? And they've always been kind of skeptical of that. Like they wrote a paper in the last batch that was like, no, it's because they don't like Muslims. Yeah, we talked about that. So we talked about that. Um, In this one, they have a – they distinguish between economic anxiety and economic distress. That They say economic anxiety, like people look at it through a partisan lens. Mm -hmm. And you you can see this in any chart of like – how do you think the economy is right. doing? As soon as the election happens, the trend lines switch. Yep. Right? Republicans suddenly think the economy is great. Democrats think it's terrible. So they say, look, that is all colored by your political leanings. But things like are you having difficulty making your mortgage payments? Are you behind on your credit uh-huh. card bills? Like these are things that are not partisan. Like they're actions. Right. And when you look at that, they actually find that no, no, no. Like Hillary Clinton voters were in more economic distress than Donald Trump voters. These were not people who were – I mean, not to say at an individual level people weren't distressed, but that broadly you can't say like these were all distressed economic 
economically distressed people right. now explains their vote. Like right. they, they separate those two things out. Was there anything that you saw in any of this that kind of caught your eye or or papers that in the future you would love to see no, them tackle? No, I mean it, it it is it is fascinating. I mean I, I I am glad to see the the religiosity piece because I I don't think that that's a good it's not I don't think it's good for our discourse for people to assume that people who are religious are you know extreme and exclusionary that they are you know judgmental toward everybody like I I know that that's not true of all religious people in practice and that that sort of thread in our debate I don't think is helpful you yeah. know for you know for all kinds of people right i mean i think that that's you know can be corrosive um i you know even if there are some there are key leaders and key figures that reinforce that perception. People don't just make it up out of the sky, you know, for that reason. But still, nonetheless, I, I know that in practice there's a lot more nuance. And so I'm glad to see that that's been, you know, separated out. I mean, the question is what happens, you know, here's here's what I want to know. And I don't know if this answers it particularly. But the question is what happens in kind of the post-Trump era to Republican – the Republican Party and to conservatives when, you know, it, when one day, whenever that day is, that they no longer have Trump as the leader but there are potentially, you know, gubernatorial and congressional, you know, leaders and Senate leaders who are in, in his image, you know, who he, who have created – fashioned themselves in his image. Then then what happens? Is this, is this the trend of what we're seeing in terms of, you know, voters on the right activated by, you know, race or et cetera? Like, you know, this – making this, you know, this sense that it's about economic anxiety when it's not. You know, all, all those things. Does those, pa- do those patterns continue and just become even further ingrained or do they change? And that's what – we can't predict the future. Yeah, I mean, we, we've that, seen is... big shifts in how you know in at attitudes of religious yeah. populations on things like various behaviors yeah. that the president has engaged in suddenly right. are like, oh, that's not so bad anymore. So there have been yeah. those shifts, but I was just I was heartened to see, yeah. in part because I think the the social capital. You know, she notes religious Trump voters have higher levels of social capital. They're more likely to volunteer, be satisfied with family relationships and neighborhood, believe the world is just and that yeah. people can be trusted, good. and that stuff is good for society. Yep, just generally. Yep, 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 yep. You know what um, else is good for society? Fall, the best season. <laughs> uh, Margie, do you have a strong feeling on which season is e- the best season? You know, I feel like I also like fall. I, I feel – I mean there's something about summer that obviously it's summer, but I have a lot of like FOMO about summer. Like I'm not cr- cramming enough into summer. I always have this kind of – Worry, which is definitely true. I don't even need to worry about it. It was true for sure. The summer thing. This, this not has like been a, a subject of very of the like dark trolling, at comfortably smug tweets lately, where he posts like gifs of like puppies rolling in the snow, and he's like, "Embrace it. All those things you thought you'd do this summer, you've run out of time. It's too bad. It's too late. Only the cold embrace of winter awaits you." Like some tweets like that. that I'm like, oh. I'm not quite there. I do. I do like a good. I do like fall. I like fall festivals. I like fall foods. I like butternut squash. I like you know. Hot coffee on a chill, crisp day. I like boots. I like all those things, right? The, all those things I like. You know, they're all lovely. Um, pumpkins, etc. 
you know, but we are now in like a pretty, you know, fakakta fall. <laughs> like, I just don't like politically. So like that's like I don't know. Like I don't. So that's I'm I'm struggling to like enjoy both those. Just get a at the get a hot time. pot of kofeve <laughs> and you'll be fine. You'll be fine. So so that's Gallup and this is. It's it, we're actually using credible polling data this week in this last poll of the show it's not section. From Credit Donkey, it's not from Credit Donkey, <laughs> but it is from the not so recent past. It is from two thousand and five. Sure, sure. Uh, Gallup has asked people their favorite season, and the good news is they have also asked it in nineteen forty seven and nineteen sixty. So we got trend lines. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like how much time does it take them to decide and like prepare to like ask it? Again, they're like, guys, do we, in twenty twenty six? No, let's, let's drop let's, the let's, season's no, question. Let's have a meet. Let's have a meeting about it. Okay, are we preparing? Okay, let's have a, a countdown <laughs> to twenty thirty three. So, okay, in this poll, consistently since nineteen forty seven, spring has been the winner. Uh, spring last time they asked, thirty six percent of people chose spring as their favorite season, which is fine. But in DC, spring is a lie. Spring's not a thing that we have. Yeah, spring is like just a we couple have winter days. and a couple days of rain and then summer. Yeah. So spring is a lie. Um, so it's lovely Agreed. all those people that get to experience it and think it's great. Uh, second place is fall. In 2015, it came in second at 27 percent, closely followed by summer at 25. Winter is the favorite season of 11 percent of people. And that is a significant increase over where it was in 1960 when it was only at 4 percent. Is this climate change? I don't know. Do we have more science from the polls? More people like winter because winter is warmer? Yeah, it could be. It could be. I don't know. I mean, we need something now because it's definitely – we've had quite a few warm years since 2005. That is for sure. And that is climate change. Um, I uh, I don't know where I was going with it. <laughs> well, I am excited because fall is my favorite season. Yes. And I am headed up to Cambridge next Monday. Oh, no, I'm supposed to say Boston. I'm going up to Bo- a school in Boston. Mm. I'm going to be speaking at a school in Boston. Right. Um, at the Shorenstein Center. So if you are a listener in the Boston, Cambridge area, uh, I'm unsure if Shorenstein stuff is open to the public in the ways the IOPs is. But I will be up there if you are a, a student at Harvard or a faculty member at Harvard and want to come hang out. I'll be talking political environment um, with Nico Mele at Shorenstein. Come check it out. But it's His wife Cambridge. is a longtime friend of mine and she has her own podcast, Mora. Aaron's melee, and she wrote a book, Hiding in the Bathroom, which folks should read. So I like she, the title. <laughs> about like being an introvert in the working world. Oh, I am going to buy this book and read it on my flight to She Washington is lovely. Today. She is one thousand percent. She is, she is um, super lovely. Yeah. But and she has her own Late September too. in Cambridge, Massachusetts is just delightful. Yes. So I'm so excited to just walk to the little Pete's coffee, get my mocha, feel like it's four years ago when I was in the throes of, oh my God, I'm never going to get the selfie vote written. This yes. is so bad. <laughs> you should – so yes, and Amy Dacey is a, a Harvard fellow this fall, so you should say hello to her. I will have to look her up yeah. and say hello. Okay. All right. So key findings. The weather is still stormy out there. Oh, wait. I knew what I was going to say. Oh, no. I remember what I was going to say. Please don't go. Don't talk <laughs> no, about no, Toad. No, don't talk no, about Toad. Do I'm not going to do that. I'm totally not going to do that. 
I'm just going to pretend that didn't happen. As I saw it, I was like, I'm not going to talk about this with Kristen when I get to the I had Toadette as my Twitter avatar for like six months this year. I was was like, okay, no, I'm not doing it. But no, what I was going to say about the weather is that in the seasons, that every time I do a focus group and and if I ever ask a question, you know, I have a variety of different intro kinds of questions. But one of them is like, what do you like about living here? Invariably, people say, I like the seasons wherever I am. I don't – like I haven't asked it in like L.A. I guess. And maybe people say the weather there too obviously because it's L.A. But like people in L.A. like that there's no season. <laughs> I think that's a feature, not a we bug. We have one season and it's the best season. But yeah, everywhere – I mean people wear – like you would never think that the weather would be an attraction. People say, yeah, I like the weather. I like the seasons. Anyway. I wanted to make sure I made that very important point. So the weather's still stormy. Stay safe, literally, politically, twitterly. That means that was my reference to the toad. I wasn't going to go there any more than that. All right, good polls for Democrats, but as always, don't get complacent. I think the Republicans should try to avoid adding to the lady rage out there. That's my free advice. And is your favorite season fall? Is your favorite season this this fall? Whatever season is your favorite, you're going to be in a minority, and um, that's what we have this week. You can find us on <laughs> Twitter at, at the Polsters, individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Casoltis Anderson. You can find us at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook. Thanks. Bye.